All right. Well, let me just pray just for Andrew and for these things. Father, I pray for Andrew as he, he goes to uh, boot camp um, tomorrow. Father, I, I pray, God, you'd teach him much. Um, I pray that he would be stretched in a, in a good way to direct his trust and attention towards you in, in all things. Uh, we do thank you for um, just what he has done. Just thank you for the audiovisual ways in which he has served us as a church. And would pray, God, that he would serve our country well. We, we are thankful for people like that who have given much of themselves, God, so as to uh, provide for us a, a safe place in which to live. And so we are thankful for that. God, I also pray for our guests who's coming to dinner. Um, dinners all around the, the city afterwards would pray, oh God, you would, uh, would be helpful. Would, would um, God, just help those times to be one in which maybe we meet people we didn't know and that we would grow closer as a church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so something's, something's up here. We'll just, we'll just start without, uh, without that. Um, I want to begin this morning by singing a song. Okay, it's a, it's a song that um, many of you know, and if you don't know, I am, I am pretty sure that you can um, pick it up. Let me just try this one more time here. And uh, we, should, we should be good. All right. So it's a song that I think most of you know. If you don't, you can pick it up. It goes like this. And I, I don't want to sing it just alone. I want all of us. Well, how about we just, just cut that? We're just, we're just done with the overhead. How about we do that? Um, if we can get a black screen up there, that'd be great. All right. Here we go. It goes like this. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For your Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. For your Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. Oh, be careful, little tongue, what you say. For your Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little tongue, what you say. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. For your Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. For your Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little mind, what you think. Oh, be careful, little mind, what you think. For your Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little mind, what you think. Last stanza. Oh, be careful, little heart, what you trust. Oh, be careful, little heart, what you trust. For your Father up above is looking down in love, so be careful, little heart, what you trust. You know, that song is entirely biblical. 
Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, looking upon the evil and the good. God knows everything that we see. He knows everything that we say. He knows everything that we hear. He knows everything that we do. He knows everywhere we go. He knows everything we think. That's why it's so important to watch over our hearts by carefully pondering who it is, what it is that we trust And that little song is a good overview of our text this morning because exactly what Solomon is talking about, Proverbs chapter 4, 20 through 27. Because in in our text, Solomon is going to appeal to his son to watch over his eyes and his ears and his tongue and his feet and his heart. In other words, right, the the way in which the world enters into his being and and the way in which he acts with the world, the way he responds, Solomon says to walk carefully. Or she might say, oh, be careful. That is the title of my message this morning is, is, oh, be careful from that song. Because that's the the thrust of what's being talked about here. So you can open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4. 20 through 27. If you need a pew Bible, it's on page 530 in one of the chairs in front of you. I want to read it for us today. And and as I read it for you, I want you to listen for the body parts that Solomon mentions here. He says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So do you see the body parts there? They're like all over. I trust you can see. Verse 20 mentions hearing. Verse 21, he mentions seeing. He mentions the heart in verse 21. In verse 22, he speaks about the, the flesh. Verse 23, speaking about the heart. Verse 24, he, he speaks about our speech. You might deduce that to our tongues. In 25, he speaks about our eyes. In 26, he speaks about our feet. In 27, our our foot. You know, I'm reminded of John Bunyan when I I read these words. Uh, I mentioned him last week when we looked for verses 10 through 19 because those verses give an imagery of the the path that we walk. As if uh, life is like a a journey, a a walking. And and Pilgrim, of course, went from the city of destruction to the celestial city, seeking to walk the straight and narrow path because the terminology in verses 10 through 19 are are filled with path language, with walking language. But Pilgrim's Progress wasn't the only allegory that John Bunyan wrote. He also wrote an allegory entitled The Holy War, which I have here. Um, I'm sure you can get it online, totally free. You can You can read it. And uh, the Holy War, rather than envisioning Christian's life as a walk, rather it, it picks, pictures a, a Christian's life as a, as a, as a town, or, or, or their being, a, a, a person's being as a, as a city. And, and Holy War speaks about the, the battle that goes on within the soul of a man. In fact, in, in Bunyan's Holy War, the town's name is Mansoul. 
as if he's the soul of, of a man. It was built by Shaddai, which is the all-powerful one. It's the Hebrew word for God. And, and here's what John Bunyan writes. He says, Shaddai made this town the mirror and glory of all that he had made. And so goodly a town was man's soul when first built that the gods came down to see it and they sang for joy. And as he made it goodly to behold, so also mighty to have dominion over all the country round about. Just Genesis 1 language, just right there. Made in God's image and and made to rule and reign over all things. Bunyan went on to describe how the palace of this town was right in the heart of the city, right in the middle. And, And he writes, for strength this palace might be called a castle. For pleasantness, a paradise. For largeness, a place so copious as to contain all the world. And this is the place that King Shaddai intended for himself and himself alone. And not for any others with him. But he described the walls of of this town with these words. The walls of the town were well built. Yea, so fast and firm were they knit and compact together. That had it not been for the townsmen themselves, they could not have been shaken or broken forever. So strong is the the walls around this town. And then, as we get to our text today, Bunyan describes the gates to this town. He says, this famous town of Mansoul had five gates in at which to come and out of which to go, and such as could never be opened nor forced, but by the will and leave of those within. These were impenetrable gates. You couldn't come from outside, but you could open them up from within. And the gates, do you know what the gates were? Any familiar with uh, Mansoul? Anyone? Just, just yeah, eye gate, and ear gate, and mouth gate, and nose gate, and feel gate. And right here is where you see Bunyan's picture of the soul. It it can't be breached except through the gates, and the gates are the eyes and ears and the mouth and the nose and the touch. And Solomon has the same idea in our text. Oh, be careful what you hear through the ear. Be careful, man's soul, what you open yourself up to coming through the ear gate. Be careful what you see through the eye, O town of man's soul. Be careful when you open your eye gate to see what you're going to see, lest there be danger out there. Be careful what you say because these things are the very gates to your souls, your eyes, your ears, your mouth. And if wrong things get in or if wrong things go out in the wrong way, they will destroy your soul. And that's what holy war is, is all about. It's, it's the assault of diabolos, the Greek word for uh, Satan, the, the devil, the, the great and mighty evil prince upon the town of Mansoul. Diabolus sought to take the town as his own possession. And indeed, he succeeds. Here, Mansoul created in the image of God, but Diabolus comes in and takes that man, and Lord Innocency is murdered, and Lord Understanding is demoted, and Mr. No Truth enters the town, and Mr. Lord Lustings becomes mayor. But the gospel is preached, and war is declared, and Emmanuel leads the attack to gain back the town of Mansoul, and eventually Christ enters the town. And Mansoul is saved. Lord Understanding is reinstated as mayor. The image of Diabolos is taken down. And all things have become new. But the book's not over. Because that's just dealing with salvation. And then continues on the battle with sanctification. As Mansoul neglects reformation and mortification. The town's in danger. 
And Diabolus, seeing his chance, continues his attacks upon the town, sending Mr. Carnal Security to attack the town from within. And Mr. Godly Fear and Mr. Conscience speak to the town and urge its citizens to remain strong. And on the outside, Mr. Deceit schemes to attack by sending an army of doubters to attack this city of Mansoul. But eventually, Emmanuel, the author and finisher of our faith, returns to the town, leads the resistance, and through the effort of Captain Self-Denial, Election Doubter and Vocation Doubter and Grace Doubter are tried and they are executed. And Mr. Live by Feeling and Legal Life are imprisoned with life sentences. Mr. Unbelief fled the town and got away. And Holy War ends with Emmanuel's victory speech. That's the Holy War. It was engaged in the city of Mansoul. And the whole key to that was keeping the gates, keeping the eye gate and the ear gate and the mouth gate and the nose gate and the feel gate. And that's almost exactly what Solomon is telling us here this morning. And so we can, we can open up our text here this morning in Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 22. My first point covers the first three verses. It's this, a little reminder because if you've been here for our exhibition of Proverbs, these first three verses are very familiar to you. Not because we've read them every week, but because they, they cover the same themes that Solomon does in almost every single section here in Proverbs. They, they call to his son, my son, right? And, and there's attentive. Listen to me. Be attentive, right? Pay attention to what I'm saying. And they're called to keep his words, and then there's a promise of life. Look, look at verse 20 through 21. It says, my son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. And again, I repeat it, young people. Those of you who are younger, the, the children, you are sons and daughters of parents here this morning. I just say, listen to the wisdom of Solomon and pay attention. This book is written to you. Keep the Proverbs always before you. Let them never depart from your sight. You know, there's really an easy way to do this. You can read a chapter in Proverbs every day. 31 chapters in Proverbs. 31 days in the month. Equates to a proverb every day. And I know many people who have done this over the years. That's not been my practice, but I encourage you. That could be your practice if you want to. I was at the men's retreat this past weekend with Crossway Chapel of Fox Valley, and one of the guys there uh, said, are you preaching on Sunday? I said, yes, in, indeed I am. He said, I'm preaching through Proverbs. And he said, Proverbs? Oh, I love the book of Proverbs. In fact, I read it through 12 times every year, once a month, was his testimony of just how he, he did that. And can you imagine the wisdom you could gain if indeed that was there? So that is one way that you could apply this text here to to read it every day for the month of the day. And certainly then you'd fulfill the, the thrust of verse 21, let them not escape from your sight, as they would be there in your sight and you would listen to them. And, and then we can only hope that the second part of that would be true. Keep them within your heart. Right? The, the, the first one's more keep them in your sight, let, let know about them, but the second one is really feel them in, in your heart. Again, at the retreat, one of the, the speakers, Glenn Morden, he's a chapel at Wayside Cross Mission, which is just like uh, Rockford Rescue Mission. And uh, he brought a few men from the retreat who have come to faith there through the, the mission, and, um, but yet have had some rough times and are living there and going through the, the program there. And in, and in Glenn's talk, he said, this is what we often say at the mission, right? We, we say how important it is to know God's Word, but how much more important it is 
to have God's word in your heart. Because one thing to have it in your head, and it's another thing to have it in your heart. And that's what Solomon is talking about here in verse 21. Let it be in your head, right? Let it not escape from your sight, but ultimately keep it within your heart. And the reason is simple. It's a Solomon. It's, it's good for us. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all their, their flesh. This is a repeated theme. Chapter 4, verse 10. Hear my son, accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. Chapter 3, 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. And if I can persuade all of you of anything through the exposition of Proverbs, it's this, wisdom is good for you. Wisdom is good for you. It leads to life. It leads to blessing. It leads to good things. A little bit like exercise. There are times when we don't want to exercise, right? We're tired. We don't want to exercise. There are times when the exercise hurts a little bit as your your muscle fatigue comes in. But, But afterwards, after exercising, we always come back stronger. It's always good for us to have our bodies active. And so it is with wisdom. It may be difficult at times. We may not want to follow it at times. And it may be hard, but in the end, we will feel better by following after the ways of wisdom, like we feel better in exercise. And God's blessing will be upon us, and we will know that blessing, and the promise is a long life. Well, let's dig into the heart of the passage here this morning, verse 23. In this verse, Solomon simply gives a a simple command, and, and the command is this, keep your heart. My second point is this, keep your heart how verse 23 begins, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. The idea here of keeping is the idea of, of guarding and protecting and caring, guarding your heart, protecting your heart, keeping it safe from attack, keeping it healthy. And we all know how important this is physically to protect our hearts, whether that's exercise, making sure our hearts are good. But even you think about going off into battle. When a, when a knight would go off into battle, he would wear his, his armor, right? that big breast plate that would, would protect their torsos, protecting their chest and their heart. And today, as uh, police officers go, right? Have you been fitted for a, a vest? Yep, he's in police academy, Ar- Armin is. and you, Bulletproof vest today the police officers wear. And every time they go out, they, they have that to protect their hearts. And physically, that's what you're kind of talking about here. Protect and keep your heart. Keep it safe. But spiritually, of course, this is what it's talking about. The spiritually keeping and protecting our hearts. And we talk about our hearts in the Bible. We're talking about the, the core of our being. I mean, in our society today, when you think about hearts, oftentimes we think about our emotions. That's, that's where our emotions come from. Valentine's Day is a day of love. And what's the symbol of that? It's heart. It's It's, it's emotions. Right? We think of, of that, but that's not so much in the Bible. In the Bible, it's your stomach, which is the, the center of emotions. Your heart in the Bible is really the, the center of your being. Because the Bible speaks about how we think in our hearts. The Bible speaks about how we reason in our hearts. The heart's where we form our decisions and where we express our will. And, and, and you probably know this, but maybe you haven't even just articulated that. But Proverbs sixteen nine. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So you've got the heart, which is planning the way, thinking, scheming in the best sense, devising the plans and, and, and figuring out, making the volition. This is what we're going to do. But yet God then directs the steps. 
But that's what the heart does. As one theologian says, the heart is the seat of rational functions. From the heart comes planning and volition, religious and moral conduct rooted in the heart. Another theologian says, the heart is the organ which wills or decides, thinks, knows, and judges between right or wrong. That's what our, what our heart is about. That's why we need to, to keep our heart. Uh, I had a professor in seminary who described the heart as our mission control center. So picture with me, right, uh, Apollo, the Apollo missions, or picture with me the, um, uh, the space shuttle missions, or picture with me the, um, the, the missions to Mars, Right, And if you've seen any of that, you've got the, the cameras looking out on the mission control centers where, where you have, like whatever, about 50 of the, the most well-trained scientists have been working on this project for all the time and they're all on their headsets and they're all talking and they're all on their computer screens and they're all watching their monitors and they're all everything. And everything that that space mission does goes through that command center. And when something goes wrong, Houston, we have a problem. Houston was where the command center was. Right? Everything goes out of that. That's where communication flows. It's where decisions are made. It's where more commands are sent forth to any crew that's up on the, the ship. And that's exactly what Solomon says. Keep your mission control center with all vigilance because from it flows the springs of life. That is, life flows from your heart. Where your heart decides that you will go and what, what you will see and what you will hear and what you will do and what you will say that's what will govern your life. Your heart's where you make all your day-to-day decisions in life. Your heart is where you make the key decisions in your life. And it all flows from there, and it's for that reason that we need to keep our hearts with all vigilance. As some translations say, with all diligence. The New Living Translation says, guard your heart above all else. In other words, the most important thing about all of us is our heart. That palace in the center of our being where Shaddai should rule and reign. And when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, it's the heart is essential to it all. To to be saved from our sins, we need to believe in Christ from our hearts. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. There's a belief that's got to come from the center of our hearts. Really trusting that, that Christ is the one who died on the cross for our sins. He was buried, that he was raised. Like God, it's, it's, it's deep in my heart. That's what I believe. And, and even when we walk in obedience to the Lord, we do it from the heart. As Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. With all your soul, with all your mind. And Jesus condemned those who merely had external religion. Matthew fifteen eight. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Because genuine religion comes from within from the heart. Christianity is inside out, not outside in. It's, it's, it's the way in which God transforms us inside that then works itself out in the way that we live. It's not that we do all these religious things to be clean on the outside, which transforms us on the inside. In fact, though, it does come from outside as Christ Jesus changes and transforms our heart, but then our living then comes from the inside out. And God is, is interested and what our heart is about. More than just what we do. More than just what we say. More than just what we go. He, he wants our hearts. From it flow the, the springs of life. And when it comes to wisdom, the heart plays the crucial role. You can look back at chapter 3, 5, and 6. Maybe you don't even need to look back there because we all know it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make straight your paths. There it is right there. It's trusting in God with all of our heart. Trusting in Christ Jesus. That he by his grace is the one who saves us. Through faith and trust in him. But we trust him in in all of our heart. We're not leaning on our own understanding. But we're looking to the word of God for our understanding. We're acknowledging him and trusting he's going to make our, our paths straight. Well, there's my, my second point after our reminder in verses 20 through 22. We, we see in verse 23, keep your heart. In, in 24, my, my third point is simply this, tame your tongue. Tame your tongue. 24, put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Proverbs talks a lot about speech. Um, I tried to look up to see what, what percentage of Proverbs talk about the tongue. And I, I couldn't, whatever, I didn't find it. I didn't have time to read through all of Proverbs. Yep, tongue, yep, tongue, yep, tongue. But I would guess, kind of rough estimate, maybe uh, a quarter of all the Proverbs talk about our tongue, mouth speaking. Uh, maybe a third. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. It's a lot. Even if it's 10%, it's a lot. It's a predominant theme in Proverbs. There's no way we're going to exhaust the subject today because it will come up over and over and over again as we, as we look through Proverbs. But just realize, first of all, I just simply say this, your speech is powerful. Proverbs eighteen twenty one: death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. With your tongue, you can destroy others, and with your tongue, you can build up others. And so many Proverbs speak the same thing from both sides. Like I'll just read a few of them. Proverbs 10 verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Proverbs 12, 18. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. A gentle tongue, Proverbs 15, 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. You can use your tongue for good or you can use your tongue for harm. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your tongue can be like a sword that stabs people. No, I'm, I'm guilty of that many times. Just a stabbing of my tongue. Verse 24 focuses on the harmful speech. It doesn't have this contrast between the good speech and the bad speech. It speaks about the, the bad speech. Put away from you crooked speech and, and devious talk. May that be far from you. The crooked speech, devious talk. Any, any sort of language, I think, that, that destroys, that's deceptive, that, that's destructive. I, I just surveyed the Proverbs and, and think about how destructive your tongues can be. A tongue is that instrument which stirs up dissension and strife. Proverbs 6, 12, and 14. The tongue is used to quarrel and insult. Proverbs 22, verse 10. The tongue can lead to ruin. Proverbs 10, 14. Reckless words can pierce like a sword. Proverbs 12, 18. Flattery works to bring ruin. Proverbs 26, 28. Gossip stirs up quarrels, Proverbs 26.20. Lying lips bring punishment, Proverbs 19.5. Teasing others is like shooting deadly arrows into others, Proverbs 26.18.
A deceitful tongue can crush the spirit. Proverbs 15 verse 4. You just see over and over just the the words that are powerful to crush and do damage. That's why Solomon is here. Just just put these damaging words away from you. This this crooked speech, this devious speech. Put it it away from you. As it goes out of your mouth gate. Make sure it's not causing harm. And I I just think about this. I I just saw this recently. It crushed my heart to, to think about how many children have been crushed by the way in which their parents have spoken to them. And I'm, I'm sure you've seen it. You're in a public place, say a, a grocery store or a, a library or a, a mall or a sporting event, and you see and watch and hear how parents deal with their children. They berate them and demean them and insult them and threaten them. And how sad it is they're crushing their spirits. And Solomon simply says, put that sort of speech away from you and put devious talk far from you. And parents, I, I, I put this on you. I, I, I talked in chapter 4 about listening to grandpa, right? Listen, and I, I just urge you par- your kids, listen to your parents. Right? But you parents need to speak in such a way that you're not stabbing and crushing your kids either. You need to speak with them in such a kind way, in a gracious way, that your words are attractive and, and eager for them so as to listen to you and watch. So there's this, this, this balance here. Yes, kids, you need to obey, but parents, smooth that path by not using these devious, hard, crushing words. And how simple is this command in verse 24, and yet how difficult it is. James, the brother of our Lord, puts it this way. He says, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You know why it's difficult to control the tongue? Because we're not perfect. And because nobody has tamed the tongue let me just give you one piece of advice to help, help this. Think before you talk. Think before you talk. Ask yourself, before you're going to say what you're going to say, are these words going to be life-giving words that people are going to crave? Or are they going to be words that's going to cut down and destroy? And Are they going to be hurtful words? And then, after you've thought about it, then go ahead and talk about what you're going to say. And I say that in light of Proverbs 19, 10, verse 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lip is, is prudent. And I think this is how it goes, right? Those who talk a lot, what can't they do before they talk? They can't think about it before they talk. They can't think about it and evaluate whether that's going to be a good thing or bad thing to say. It just kind of, it just kind of comes out. And so the, the talking is coming before the thinking. And that's when lots of people get into trouble when they don't restrain their lips. They say things they regret because they haven't thought about what they're going to say first. But just know that your words can bring destruction to you as well. A fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. The kid who mouths off to the bully at school gets pounded because maybe there's a better way to deal with it. 
A fool's mouth is his ruin, his lips are a snare to his soul. And, and that's why Solomon's saying, put this far from you. Let, let, it be, let it stay away from the crooked speech. Because he wants our life. He wants our best. He wants our life to go well with us. So put those things away. So tame your tongue. Well, let's move on. Verse 25. Solomon says, my fourth point. So we've got keep your heart, tame your tongue, and hear this one, aim your eyes. Verse 25, we got eyes there. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be in front of you. The, the idea here is that we should focus our attention upon, upon the right things. Okay, so this, this is not necessarily talking about literalness. Like I'm going to only look this way. I'm not looking this way. Right? I, I, I'm, I'm just not going to look this way. And then we're going to walk around like robots, right? Like this and just kind of... No, not, we're not going to keep our head down. We're not going to have blinders on. This isn't talking physically. This is metaphorically, if you will, in, in, in some regards. But be careful where you see, where you're looking. And make sure that, that, that you're looking in the right place, is what he was saying. Now, there are times when you need to keep your, your eyes straight ahead and ignore what's over here, and you just keep walking right ahead because you should not be looking what's over there. And I'd say this, how many people have fallen into sin because they've had a wandering eye? And when they need to be looking ahead, they're looking over here. Eve's sin began with her eyes when she looked at the forbidden fruit, saw that it was attractive and ate it. Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt and met her end because she looked where she shouldn't be looking. The angel of the Lord said, look straight ahead. Don't look back. And she looked back. Achan's sin began when he looked at the banned plunder and saw how nice it was. Right? And then that covetousness starts stirring when you see the eyes, right? The, the desire, the life begins there. It begins with the eyes. David's sin began when he was looking at Bathsheba bathing. And Solomon is calling us to consider where we are looking. And there are many places you should not be looking. Jesus acknowledged the sexual look. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. They're just looking at the wrong place, whether it's the, the billboard or the screen. And we'll talk about that more next week as we're going to get into the sexual sin of chapter 5. So applicable for us today. Because much of the sexual sin that comes today is through the eye, through images on the screen, which then have translation into the heart and affects all of life. And for that, we need to learn what Job said. I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then can I gaze upon a virgin? He just said, I've made this promise with my eyes that I'm only going to look at the right things. Or as Solomon says, to use his language, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. I'm just going to look forward. My gaze, I'm, that's, I'm pledging. I made this promise, signed with my eyes. Sort of what he, he said. Well, the antidote to a wandering eye is a focused eye. Hebrews 12, 1-3 Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There's the temptation that comes, the, the snares, the weight, the endurance. He says, let's run the race. And how do you run the race? It's by fixing your gaze. So he says in Hebrews 12 too, looking to Jesus, the author, the founder and perfecter of our faith. 
And Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Right? We need to look to Jesus, how he conquered on the cross in the midst of our temptations. So look, to, look to the cross of Christ. Look straight ahead. Look right there. Look to the hill of Calvary. That will help a lot of things come into perspective. And when you're looking there, it's difficult to look other places. And then when temptation comes, Hebrews 12, 3 says, Consider him, the look to Jesus, right, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. So we look at the suffering, we look at the cross of Christ, we think about it. And so as we look there and so that we aren't looking in wrong places. Looking to Jesus helps with sin and temptation. And so remember his power and grace. Remember what we did upon the cross. Peter's unbelief began when he was walking on the water, when he began to look at the wind. And when he began to look around, that's when he got in trouble and began to, to sink. So we need to look to Jesus. Don't, don't look at ourselves, right? That, that leads to a problem. As the poem says, I, I looked to Jesus in my sin, my woe and want confessing. Undone and lost, I came to him, I sought and found a blessing. So in our sin, like look, look not to our sin, not to ourselves, not introspective, right? But look, look to Christ, look straight ahead. Well, our last point here in verse 25, 26 and 27, we've seen keep your heart. We've seen um, tame your tongue. We've seen aim your eyes and now ponder your paths. It's talking about feet, obviously, but it just says ponder the path right there in verse 26. So I thought that'd be a nice way to say this. Ponder your paths. That is, right, think about where you are going. Verse 26, ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Now, there are places you simply should not go, okay? You should not visit the strip club. You should not go there. You should not go to the adult store. You should not go to a brothel. You should not go to an abortion clinic. You should not go to a a sinful party where there's sinful activity going on. You shouldn't go to the gang meeting. And you ought not to go to those places. But verses 26 and 27 isn't necessarily talking about where you go. Because there are lots of places where it's fine to go. There are places where it's maybe not so good to go. And there are places where it's absolutely bad to go. But I think in some regards, 26 and 27 are, are talking about a, a picturing life as a, as a path or as a, as a walkway. Because verse 27 says, do not swerve to the right or to the left. Like we can only go forward. No, we're, we travel all around, all different places. But, but spiritually, metaphorically speaking, it just says walk on the right path. And don't go to the left or don't go to the right. Don't compromise here or or don't be too hard over here. Just walk the right path right in the middle. In fact, this is exactly what our our text was last week. Remember last week how it talked about walking down the paths? Solomon, Solomon used that imagery. Again, I repeat, verse 11. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. And when you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. I mean, that's exactly what verse 26 is talking about, just with different words. Ponder the path of your feet, right? Think well of of where it is you're going. Think well of how you're living, and then all your ways will be sure. Uh, I I talked last week about the interstate and the sure ways, the smooth ways that are there. 
That's what God does. He makes our way smooth. What he talked about last week, same thing came up again, and I just repeat it again. Think well of your path. If you're walking on the right path, it will be a smooth path. He'll help you through this path. And then, last week, verses 14 and verse 14 and following, well, verse 13 says, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Keep on the right path. But then 14, we got going on the bad path, which is a bit like verse 27. It says, don't swerve to the right or left. Don't go on the bad path. And last week, do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble, for they eat the bread of wickedness and they drink the, pat, the wine of violence. Just similar things here. I want you to ponder your paths. I want you really to, to think about your paths, where you're walking, what you're doing. And, and, and Solomon here says, walk the straight path, right? Walk, walk the path that God would have for you, and that's the path where life comes. I think it's interesting as I, I was reading through the Proverbs. Look over chapter 5, verse 21. It says this, A man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all of his paths. Think about that. Solomon says in, in chapter 4, to ponder the path of your feet. And in chapter 5, verse 21, it says that God ponders all of our paths. He sees everything that we're walking. His, his ways are before the eyes of the Lord. This is what we began with, Proverbs 15, verse 3, right? The eyes of the Lord are in every place, looking on the good and the evil. And here we have the eyes of the Lord, verse 21, right? The, the man's ways are before the Lord. He ponders all his paths. That's why we need to be careful, little children, what we see. And we need to be careful, little children, what we hear. And we need to be careful, little children, what we say. And we need to be careful, little children, what we do. And we need to be careful, little children, where we walk. And we need to be careful, little children, what we think. And we need to be careful, little children, of what we trust. Because we have a Father up above who's looking down in love. So let's be careful of the way that we, we manage our gates of our souls. That we might have King Shaddai rule and reign in the palace of our hearts forever. So let's pray. Father, would pray that that little song would reverberate in our hearts and our minds today. We would think deeply about our, our body parts, our eyes and our ears and our hands and our feet, our mouths, God, where we go, what we say, what we do, and that in all ways, oh God, you would lead us in the right paths. And again, Lord, I feel compelled for those who are not walking in the right paths, who are, are making wrong decisions, who are delighting in the wrong paths. God, I pray you grant them repentance, that they would see that they are, are sinners in need of grace. God, I pray you convict them and cause them to run to Jesus and look to him who alone makes things right. And also, Father, would pray for the one who thinks they can be righteous by walking in the right ways and saying the right things and keeping the ears from hearing bad things and keeping their eyes from seeing bad things. God, we can't tame the tongue. We can't tame our eyes. We can't protect and guard our ears all the time. Sin is around us, God. We need your help and your grace. We need the saving grace of Jesus in our lives. So, Father, those who are 
without regard for you or those who are boastful of their own, I pray you'd humble both of them and bring them to the cross. And for the rest of us, God, I pray that in all ways the, the cross of Christ would be before us and that we would lean on you in dependence and that you would make in Rock Valley Bible Church a, a wise people who would walk with each other in wisdom. God, that we might know your blessing of what it means to walk in these ways that Solomon guides us in. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.